Please be seated. Turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20 as we continue our study on both the uh, book of Exodus and the Ten Commandments. We're going to be looking at the seventh and eighth commandment today, verses 14 and 15 of Exodus chapter 20. You shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal. Father, we pray that you would take your words, your commands, and that you would open our hearts to the reality of your word, that we might be compelled by your Holy Spirit to come to Jesus Christ for both the forgiveness of our sins and that we would repent and would turn to you and would live out our lives faithful to you by following these commandments. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, everybody seems to love a love story, a good love story, and there are, uh, in fact, there's a whole network devoted to that, the Hallmark Network, right? And so um, I've taken a little time to write out the plot to every Hallmark movie it's just a slight exaggeration. A woman lives in a large city, and she moves away from her successful job to live somewhere beautiful in the middle of nowhere to start a fledgling Christmas-themed business. She immediately meets a man in passing, and they develop an unspoken subconscious connection that everyone sees except the woman in question. The man has some major flaw, usually something to do with the undermining of her fledgling Christmas business. The man somehow comes around and figures out how to save her business, usually at some sacrifice to himself. Near the end of the movie, the two resolve all conflicts, admit that they are in love with each other. The movie ends with a kiss, and the two presumably live happily ever after. How'd I do? Pretty good? And uh, it's a story that repeats over and over and over again because everybody loves a good love story, and it doesn't matter if you really know what's going to happen in the end. Well, what we have before us today in the Ten Commandments and in these commandments that we're going to be looking at is actually a reflection of a love story, a love story that we have with our God, who the Bible describes as our husband. This covenant relationship has been described previously as a, a king subject relationship and now we're going to look at the fact that the Bible describes our relationship with God as a husband wife relationship. And so I'm going to read from a passage in the book of Exodus that lays out this, this marital love relationship. It's a little grittier uh, than a Hallmark movie but nonetheless it is a love story that begins in Egypt, when the children of Israel are uh, in slavery, uh, they're in very, very difficult straits. And so God is speaking first person here about how he set his affection on the, the people of God, the children of Israel, and where it went from there. So this is Ezekiel 16:5, beginning there. No, I pitied you to do any of these things to you out of compassion for you. But you were cast out on the open field, for you were abhorred on the day that you were born. And when I passed by and I saw you wallowing in your blood, I said to you in your blood, Live. 
I made you flourish like a plant of the field, and you grew up and became tall and arrived at full adornment. When I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age for love, and I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. Then I bathed you with water and washed off your blood from you and anointed you with oil. I clothed you with embroidered cloth and shod you with fine leather. I wrapped you in fine linen and covered you with silk. And I adorned you with ornaments and put bracelets on your wrists and a chain on your neck. And I put a ring on your nose and earrings in your ears and a beautiful crown on your head. Thus you were adorned with gold and silver and your clothing was of fine linen and silk and embroidered cloth. You ate fine flour and honey and oil. You grew exceedingly beautiful and advanced to royalty. And your renown went forth among the nations because of your beauty, for it was perfected through the splendor that I had bestowed on you, declares the Lord your God. The end, they all live happily ever after. Not. Sorry. This is how it went. God continued, but you trusted in your beauty and played the whore because of your renown and lavished your whorings on any passerby. Your beauty became his. You took some of your garments and made for yourself colorful shrines and on them played the whore. The like has never been seen nor ever shall be. You also took your beautiful jewels of my gold and of my silver, which I had given you and made for yourselves images of men and with them played the whore. And you took your embroidered garments to cover them and and set my oil and my incense before them. Also my bread that I gave you, I fed you with fine flour and oil and honey, and you set before them for a pleasing aroma, and so it was, declares the Lord God. And you took your sons and your daughters whom you had borne to me, and these you sacrificed to them to be devoured. Were your whorings such a small matter that you slaughtered my children and delivered them up as an offering by fire to them? And in all your abominations and your whorings, you did not remember the days of your youth when you were naked and bare, wallowing in your blood. Adulterous wife, who receives strangers instead of her husband? Men give gifts to all prostitutes, but you gave your gifts to all your lovers, bribing them to come to you from every side with your whorings. Exodus chapter 20, verses 2 and 3. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. And then our passage for today, Exodus 20, 14. You shall have no other, excuse me, you shall not commit adultery. This passage in Ezekiel is about the children of Israel and how they went after false gods. Uh, they, they took all of the beauty that God lavished on them, all of the produce of the fields, all of their splendor, and instead of serving the Lord and Him only, they were unfaithful, uh, even to the point of child sacrifice in their serving of other gods. What we find with these two commandments in their relationship with each other is as we are faithful to our spouse, 
that it is a signpost and an example and an outworking of our faithfulness to God as our true husband. God is our spouse. God is our husband. We're faithful to him. And as a result, we are to lead faithful lives in our relationship with our spouse. The commandment um, is very, very brief in the Hebrew. It's simply two words. No adultery. And narrowly defined, it's simply, of course, being faithful sexually with one's spouse. Having no others besides your spouse. And like the other commandments that we looked at, in the rest of the law, there are outworkings and other laws that, that expand the definition of what it means to be faithful to this particular command and other commands uh, like the seventh command. And so we see, for instance, uh, the rest of the, the law, Leviticus 18.22, there's a command against homosexuality. Leviticus 18.6-18, through 18, command against incest. In Exodus 22.19, against bestiality. Exodus 22.16, against fornication, premarital sex. And then Jesus uh, later expands upon it in Matthew 5, 31 and 32, uh, related to unlawful divorce. And so we find that the, the commandment in Scripture um, and the teaching of Scripture is that sex within marriage between the lifelong commitment of a husband and wife is beautiful and good and right and productive and very positive and outside of that relationship in any context it's destructive and sinful and not helpful and Jesus added to that uh, the fact we read it in our first passage that it's not simply a matter of what we do externally but it's a matter of our heart that we can commit adultery in our heart Matthew 5, 27. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I have said to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members, then that your whole body go into hell. So we see the seriousness, again, of not just an external uh, following of the commandments of God, and specifically here the seventh commandment, but that in our hearts we're to be faithful to our God and faithful to our spouse um, in the way that we think, in the way that we live before the Lord. And this includes... Of course, modern-day pornography, uh, which is rampant and is an outworking of that as well. One of the ways that we know the, uh, the, difficult, the, the importance of a commandment is by the way in which a commandment is punished in the Old Testament. And adultery was punished by the death penalty. So we know it was taken extremely seriously by the Lord. And yet we live in a day and age where this particular commandment and the outworkings of this commandment are sought to be normalized, the, the, um, the undoing of this commandment normalized. Uh, my wife and I went uh, and saw Downton Abbey uh, this weekend, 
Um, spoiler alert, there will be people gathered around the table eating a sumptuous meal in, in this particular edition of Downton Abbey. Uh, I'm not going to spoil anything for you uh, except to say this, that the seventh commandment is in no uncertain terms uh, sought to be normalized in two specific instances in the movie. Interestingly enough, the eighth commandment is upheld in Downton Abbey. Uh, but we live in a day and age where everywhere the seventh commandment is undermined and is seen to be made normal. Just how serious does God take it? Well, when we get to Jesus and his description of adultery in the heart, what does he warn us against? He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than, to be, than that your whole body be thrown into hell. Well, preacher, I thought you've been telling us that we're saved by grace through faith, that our relationship with God is based on faith. Are you telling me that, that, uh, that if I commit adultery in my heart that I'm going to hell? And the reality is this. If we wink at sin, if we wink at any sin, but if we wink at this sin, specifically Jesus uses it, then we are subject to the fires of hell. Why is that? You know, I've had people do that before. You know, a pastor, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm living, living in sin with my, with my girlfriend, you know. Well, what do they want me to respond? Well, yes, I suppose you are, you know. Uh, they, they think of it as something that is of little consequence. And the Bible says that there are two realities in terms of how we come into a relationship with God. And the first is that we must understand the seriousness of our sin and that the, we are subject to the punishment of God forever in hell because of our sin, any sin. And secondly, that God's grace is greater than all our sin and that Jesus Christ came for that very purpose. Why did Christ come? Because our sin merited something so horrible as punishment in hell. And he came on the cross taking the punishment that you and I deserve. Christ died for sins, once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God, to reconcile you to God. The prophet Isaiah says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. And so we must realize our sin, we must realize our culpability before God, we must repent, that is, we must admit that, we must come confessing our sins and trusting in Jesus Christ. So we must not only realize our sin, we must run to Jesus Christ and trust in Him by faith and receive forgiveness of sins, receive reconciliation with God. And so some people are so put off by their sins and so overcome by their sins that they believe there's no hope for them. If you're in that case today, there is hope for you in Jesus Christ for anybody who would repent of their sins and trust in Christ. And secondly, there are people who downplay their sins so much and believe it's of no consequence and wink at sin, and so they never come to the Savior because they don't believe they need a Savior. I want you to hear the words of Jesus Christ. It's serious. And so we take it seriously. 
And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you will not be perfect in this life. And you will sin. And we continue to sin. What we do in the Christian life is we put off the old and we put on the new. We mortify sin, to use a theological term. We put sin to death and more and more become like Jesus Christ. And it's a messy process. And it's a process where we fall into sin and we admit our sin. And the Bible says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so we admit our sin to our Savior and to our husband. And we come to him knowing that he receives and accepts, accepts us. We don't wink at it. And we do whatever is necessary to remove it from our lives. And in one sense, what we need more than anything is to, is to apprehend and to understand uh, and to love God as our Savior and as our husband. And to, and to understand that that first commandment and the second commandment has to do with with loving God and, and appreciating God and, and respecting God in the way that, that somebody would the best husband that there ever was, somebody that was self-sacrificial. And so sometimes we go, if only I loved Jesus more, I would be better. And this would solve my problem. And so, yes, spend time dwelling on the Bible and on these passages that speak of God's love for you what he's done for you and, and come and worship him and enjoy that. But I also want to say this, that love and practicality are not enemies. And Jesus says, even something good in your life, like a hand or like an eye, that you should be willing to get rid of if that is going to help you combat sexual and other sin. When I was in seminary, I was blessed by the Lord just in the, in, uh, the sequence of having different uh, pastors and different professors kind of share their story about this particular area as a pastor and how to avoid sexual temptation as a pastor. And what I found is every one of them did something they didn't have to do, something that, that wasn't sinful. They gave up something that wasn't sinful to protect themselves from sexual temptation. One pastor said, I will never have a couch in my office. Another pastor said, I will never meet with a, a woman in my office if my secretary is not there outside the door. Uh, another pastor who was a, an African-American pastor who taught one of our uh, preaching courses said that he was invited on a regular basis on, a, on preaching circuits uh, to be um, at these various preaching events. And he said the only way he would agree is if they would pay for his wife to come with him and sit on the stage with him. And uh, he said that many times uh, he had seen his fellow pastors fall into sexual sin in settings like that, and so that he was not going to be in that situation. And so whatever it takes uh, in order to do that, to that don't give up, keep working at it, the Lord will give you wisdom in whatever that area, and, your practical thing that you need to do in your life, that particular moment may be different than somebody else's. But if your hand causes you to sin, give it up and throw it away. Um, for a lot of us, we need to be um, self-chaperoned. Okay, Self-chaperoned. I had a friend who was a, um, 
uh, dated a Cuban-American girl, and um, he said that we never were on a date unchaperoned until we were engaged. And I said, what did that look like? And he said, well, I said, when, uh, was the chaperone sitting at the table at the cafe with you? And he said, oh, no. He was across the room, but he was there. I wondered who was paying for that guy. Uh, but anyway, that's not really the point. The point was there was always somebody there. And um, it made me think of another event that happened with college students. A college student uh, said to me, he loved the Lord, and his girlfriend loved the Lord. And, and uh, he said, you know, I feel like we're just getting a little bit too physical, and, and I, need, I need some advice and how to help prevent this. I said, okay, well, tell me, tell me about the situation. He said, well, we're, we're at her apartment studying. That tends to be when the problem is, okay, great, that helped, you know, and and, um, and the, the roommate, her roommate is not there. Yes, yes, and we're studying in her bedroom, and uh, we're studying on her bed. And I said, I, I think I see the problem here. Uh, so again, sometimes it's not rocket science, uh, and what I said to him is, you need to be in a situation where there are people around you uh, that will uh, prevent you from uh, falling into um, activities you do not want to fall into because you love the Lord and you want to be faithful to him in this way. That's what I mean by being self-chaperoned. Um, if you're working in a job environment, somebody of the opposite sex comes to you and begins to complain about their spouse and pour their heart out to you, uh, don't be um, mean, but you don't need to be the person uh, who... Uh, they cry on your shoulder. Um, you can listen to them, direct them to somebody of the same sex that can help them out. Um, again, self-chaperoned. We don't want to be legalistic about these things, but we want to understand um, and the Spirit of God will give you wisdom as you seek to understand how to be faithful to the Lord by being faithful to your spouse. Be faithful to the Lord by being faithful um, in terms of your uh, relationship with people before you get married. Susanna Wesley was asked by her son, John Wesley, uh, what her definition of sin was. That's interesting, moms. Would you like your son? Have you ever had your son ask you what your definition of sin is? She said, take this rule. Whatever weakens your reason, impairs the tenderness of your conscience, obscures your sense of God, or takes off your relish of spiritual things. In short, whatever increases the strength and authority of your body over your mind, that thing is sin to you, however innocent it may be in itself. I am susceptible to sin. I have sinned. I need the grace of God both for the forgiveness of my sins and to help me follow God from my sin. Thank you for dying for a stinking rotten sinner like me. Wash me clean. Purify me, God, that I might live as your spouse. May the way I treat my spouse or my sexual purity before marriage be a sign of my fidelity to you, my God, who is in a marriage relationship with your people. That should be our heart as we practically live out the Seventh Commandment. And many times, the difficulty of the Seventh Commandment is the difficulty in waiting on God. Just as it is 
In the next commandment, in the eighth commandment, you shall not steal, which is a similarly short commandment. No stealing. And so we need to have faith. Faith that the Lord will provide, that will prevent us from taking, that does not belong to us. Now, you've probably experienced this as well, but since the hurricane, as I've had different vendors come to give me quotes on different uh, problems created by the hurricane, there have been times that I haven't been sure, is this a hurricane problem, is this not a hurricane problem? And oftentimes they'll say, oh, well, everybody's just sending that to their insurance company, right? People rip off insurance companies, insurance companies rip off consumers, people rip off their bosses, right? There was a survey done, and in this survey, it was revealed that one in 40 retail workers were apprehended for theft. One in 40 were actually caught apprehended in theft. A worldwide uh, survey in 2012 came out, a report by the Association of Certified Fraud Examiners found that the typical organization loses 5% of its revenues to fraud each year, which adds up to a global annual fraud loss of more than $3.5 trillion. So em employees rip off their employer. The employer can rip off employees. We had somebody working on our roof of our house, the, the very hardworking uh, workers on a roof came down talking to my wife and related the story. They had been working for another contractor and the, they finished a job and they, they needed pay and the, the supervisor of this group uh, contacted and, and emailed and texted and the contractor never got back and finally responded, if you don't stop bugging me, I'm going to call ICE on you. And he said, well, call ICE on me, just pay me. And he never got paid for the job he did, an entire roof. And so sometimes employers will steal from employees. And the Bible says that, in fact, we can even steal from God uh, by not paying our tithes and offerings, according to Malachi chapter 3, verse 8. Well, everybody's doing it, right? Well, again, normalization of what the Bible says is wrong. Ephesians 4.28, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. And we need faith. We need trust in the Lord Almighty, the one who loves us like a husband, self-sacrificial, giving, knowing that he will give us good things. He'll give us what we need. And we need to pray to him and wait on him. Hebrews chapter 13, 5 and 6 says, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper and I will not fear what man can do to me. John Piper uh, gives a practical illustration of this. He says, Let me give you an illustration of how I fought the fight of faith last week. Midway through September, I got my water and sewer bill. It was $84.20. And at the bottom, in a little box, it said, after September 30th, 
I set the bill aside in a pile of mail and forgot about it until Friday. Friday was October 3rd. I thought to myself, I've always paid my bills on time. I'm a good citizen. I'm only three days late. I could date the check September 30th, and they probably would let it go. Then I wouldn't waste $4. But then another me began to speak. It is your fault for not sending it in on time. It's not unjust for them to charge you more for delinquent payments. The Spirit of Christ is submissive to the ruling authorities, where it doesn't require compromise with sin. A clear conscience is more valuable than $4. My master has bidden me not to steal and has promised never to leave me nor forsake me. If it would be good for me, he can make up his, this $4 loss. The Lord reigns, and so I believed the promise of God and put to death the old, deceived self and put on the new self and wrote a check for $88.41. Not a big deal, but it is a big deal. That's where the battles are waged in these small areas many, many times in our lives. Will we be faithful to our spouse? To God, who is our spouse. Remember at the beginning I talked about the image from the book of Ezekiel of the children of Israel in Egypt. They were presented as a baby born, wallowing in its blood. And God came and, and cleaned that baby up and kept that baby. And eventually married, married that baby when she became a woman. We read... In Ephesians of Jesus Christ, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. I wonder where Paul got that image of washing. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. You see, the Bible presents us in a love story with God. It's a wonderful love story. He has provided for us everything we need in Jesus Christ, our Savior and our husband, and that we as the church are his spouse. And so we trust him. We can go to him. We can cry out to him in our needs, but we can trust him. And so as a result, as we're faithful to God, our husband, let us keep the seventh and eighth commandments. Let us be faithful to our spouse. And let us be faithful to him by not taking what belongs to somebody else. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the gift of eternal life through your son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you that you have entered into a relationship with us through your son and that he has washed us with water, through the word, through this word of forgiveness, through this word of being cleansed through Jesus Christ and through faith in him. And I pray, Father, that you would give us hearts of repentance, that we would have soft hearts, that we would come to you, that we would not shy away, that we would run to you confessing our sins and trusting in you and knowing forgiveness as we live out our lives day to day. And that if there are anybody in here today that does not know, has not come to that point of knowing you as their husband, as the one who cares for them deeply, sacrificially 
uh, given his life through Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, that even today your spirit would soften their heart. They would hear these words of love, this wonderful love story, and they would embrace you through faith in Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And let us sing of the glorious wonder of our God and Savior by singing to him like a river glorious. Let's stand and sing together.